Hi everyone, and welcome to Grow Fearlessly, the podcast that brings you practical growth tips by top B2B experts. On today's episode, Yael Haleniv, a Magnify's Business Development Manager, will host Bradley Cholopsky, a Leading Content Marketing Manager. So stay tuned. Hi, Bradley. It's great to have you with us. Um, so Bradley is a corporate storyteller. He is currently the content marketing manager at Model 9, a technological solution that helps companies manage their mainframe data in the cloud. Uh, he knows how to build a content strategy from scratch and implement it in different marketing channels with the help of the teams he manages. He knows how to identify pain points of potential customers and how to analyze market trends. So Bradley, did I get everything right? I, I think that's a fair assessment. Thank you. <laughs> so would you like to explain us in a few words, what is a mainframe data? So we will. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So Model 9 solves a problem of mainframe data that is currently siloed in large computers and storage in large companies. So if you think about the history of computing, it started with mainframe computers. These are the big computers that you would see in a room in a picture from the 1940s or 50s. And this technology has continued because it's really good at what it does. And what it does is a lot of small transactions or low, low computing power transactions at high volume. So the classic example is if you think about a bank and they have ATMs all around the world, and they need to process those transactions in a ledger. So each individual transaction doesn't take so much computing power to record, it's just a ledger. But when you're doing millions of them globally, it, it requires a specific type of computer. And the mainframe remains the best type of computer for these purposes today, even, even in the modern day. The problem is that computing is moving to the cloud and specifically the analytics and data analysis that are giving companies the edge as they move forward with, with their products is in the cloud. And this data, because it is designed in mainframe format before there was a cloud, it's a problem to get it over in, into that environment where you're able to manipulate it freely in Azure or S3 or whatever cloud or an on-premises cloud too, if you're using that as well. So so what Model 9 is doing is solving that problem. And of course, there are solutions out there already. We have competitors, of course, like in any space. But our solution is very unique in that it doesn't require you to reconfigure uh, your mainframe. So a lot of times people will go on very painful and long journeys of mm -hmm. making their mainframe fit this new technology, which is very risky. It it's very expensive. Years, right? It could take a long time. And then sometimes you'll do it for years and then you won't even get any... Uh, return on your investment, it doesn't work and you have to go back to what you had before. Other solutions are physical hardware solutions. I won't go too much into it, but that allow you to connect the cables, literally connect the cables back and forth and things like that. We're a complete software solution that allows you to move your data first and then worry about changing your mainframe after if that's what you choose to do. And so we're much more low touch than other solutions and you can get value secure, very right? quickly. Sorry? It's secure, I, I guess. And yeah, and we encrypt data both on both ends and completely secure and just a better all around solution for, for large companies that have these mainframe computers with their critical business data on them. 
Great. So let, let's go to what you you do best. That's storytelling. And that I feel is like a buzzword that everybody talks about, but I don't I don't really know what it is. So could you tell us in a few words what yeah, it is? Yeah, so sure. In a few words. Uh, I don't know. I could tell you in a few minutes, maybe. I think I think storytelling has. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think storytelling is actually two parts or, or maybe even three parts, I would say. The first one is about getting the processes within your, your sp- specific team correct, which is something I know we're going to talk about in a little bit, but that's definitely a huge part of it. No two companies are the same. So it's, it's about understanding where your company is coming from, which has a people element to it that can't be Googled and cookie cuttered. Uh, another aspect of it is, of course, understanding your audience and who you're telling the story to. And I think a, a third aspect to it is really understanding the value that you're, you're delivering. So to me, when I'm doing a, a story, I'm thinking about ways to be engaging with people that will express value, but also entertain them and, and be something that they want to engage with. If you yell into a void, it's not going to have any impact. So I always tell people, in one sense, storytelling is about being able to scream into the void of the internet and get a response. And that's becoming increasingly difficult in our day. That's There are other aspects to it when you're doing lead, uh, nurturing and things like that. But in general, I think the problem that companies have a lot of times is just pure lead generation, certainly on the marketing end, where there's always that lovely debate that you could have for hours about where does marketing lead end and sales lead begin. And I could tell you some great stories about battles that I've seen fought in meetings between heads of sales and heads of marketing, because everybody's thinking about their KPIs. But in general, on the marketing side of the fence, I'm looking to get people to sales. And I think that starts a lot of times with pulling people out. And that requires interesting content that is um, on point and providing value to people. Interesting. So we'll, we'll dive in like in a few questions. So we'll get um, more to understand more about the storytelling and content. So the main question that interests everybody is, is content really king in marketing? And if so, why is that? I, wouldn't, I would say no now. And I know that that's a contrarian answer. I think back maybe five years ago, it was. But now there's so much volume of content that if you're talking about, we just want to put content out there, it's not going to be an effective strategy. I think you need to have a lot more thoughtfulness about what you're creating and why you're creating it. And so the obvious answer is to say, is content king? I guess in a sense, yeah, right. You need to make content. You need to create stuff. That's what you're paid to do as a marketer. You're not just going to sit there and not create things. But at the same time, the implication behind that phrase is, and if we build it, they will come kind of feeling. And I don't think that that's the case anymore. There's not enough, there's not enough space to be heard that you can just throw stuff out there. You have to really cut through that noise And if you can't do that with thoughtful storytelling and thoughtful ways of presenting what you're doing to people, then you're not going to have success. So I would say right now, to me, the, the king of marketing is thinking about 
the unique way you can position your yourself in the market and the value that you can provide um, provide people. And I think if you use that as your lodestar and not just we're going to create things, you'll do much better. You can um, bring uh, value with the content. Yeah, but I think there's not enough focus on the way that people communicate. Yeah, exactly. There's not enough focus on the value. When I, when I see stuff that goes on in SEO and I see stuff that goes on in some of the, the content that I get, and it's just really obvious that somebody's trying to do it just- without much thought. Yeah, you're getting a white paper because some marketer somewhere had a deliverable from their manager that said, I need a white paper. And so they put four pages together and I read it and I'm thinking this is all just generic stuff that I could find anywhere. And there's a lot of recycling that's going on. And I don't think it's really effective anymore because people are becoming smarter consumers of content. As you know, five years ago, the lead gen form was king, I would have said. Now it's kind of in the other direction because everybody knows that that game. So you'll get people that give you fake emails, you get people that send all their emails to a certain box that they never check. So you, you have to evolve with the times. And before people were thinking, oh, free content, I'm going to engage with that because it's free. Now people realize it's not free. It's you get this content in exchange for 800 spam emails over the course of the next two weeks. And so you have to be doing a better job of actually engaging with your audience and making them want to engage with you as well. And I can't tell you how many times I, I, I read something and I, I realize people are not doing what I think is the fundamental step of putting yourself in the shoes of the person that's reading this and thinking yeah. about what questions is this? Why is this person reading this? I always tell people when I talk to them about this and they ask me for help, think about when you engage with content, why you do, right? When you talk with tech people, and I say that with a lot of love. When you talk with the tech people, right, they, they will tell you, well, I don't read other, I know it's just sales stuff. People can't sell me on stuff. And then when you go to create content for them, they just want all their sales messaging because they think, what am I paying for if you're not going to talk about exactly what I do and exactly what's going to get me sales? And there's no, I always tell people, think about it from the other end. Yeah. And you get a lot of really Zen faces from people when you do that <laughs> and their head explodes, I think, because they, we, we're so wrapped up in our own, our own thought processes that we think, I want to tell you how great my widget is. Well, everybody has a great widget. And when you think about yourself on the other end, how many times you get an email from someone that says, I have a great widget. Go, yeah, yeah, like everybody has a great yeah. widget. So this is why I say storytelling and finding a way to engage with people through really putting yourself in their shoes. I I think of it as an acting exercise. I will really put myself in the mindset of what this person is giving me their time. People don't give things away for free in this world. Maybe they did at some point, but in this world, they don't give things away for free. So if someone's giving you their time with your content, there's a reason. What are they looking for? Why is this person here? What do they want to hear about? What do they want to learn about? And when you use that as the the lodestar for your process, you're able to create much more informative and high value content. And people will then want to engage with you more because it's, it's really rare to get that amazingly. And, and again, that's why I say content not being king is because what is still rare 
is not creating a white paper and sending an email chain, but what is still exceedingly rare because it's more difficult and requires nuanced thinking and a mindset change is to get something where you really feel like you got value out of it. Like somebody is really engaging with you and you think, wow, that's great about something or change something or Or change something or pointed out something that you didn't think of before, or even just delivered the value that you promised. Because again, people know when they get a generic white paper that tells them stuff that they already knew. So if you're putting yourself in the place of your audience before you create these things and thinking about what they're looking to get from it, then you can start in the right place. And it'll become actually easier, I find, to create that content because you're approaching it from the right perspective. And so it, it, you can create processes around that. And I think we'll talk about that more, but you can create processes around those, those deliverables that are more manageable and will end in quality content without taking three months. That's so interesting. And I think that you also need to detach yourself from your product and say, what are they getting from my product and not what I'm giving them and I want to get, get from them. Exactly. That's exactly right. And too many people just think I'm trying to sell. They're sell, 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 sell. And then they're shocked. I believe it's true, but. Right. Even right. Of course. I mean, I never, I I would never market something that I didn't believe in. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's not, you know, nothing that I am behind, I don't believe in. I don't think it's a great solution. I don't think it's worth people's money, but that's not the name of the game as a marketer. The name of the game is you need to tell other people and just screaming up and down and waving around, you know, I have a widget to sell. It, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't help. And I always tell people, um, you know, it's funny when you're, when you're saying that, I always tell people one of the other maxims that I live by is nobody cares about your content as much as you do. That's one of my maxims. I say it, and I think it cuts in a million different directions. Everything to me always comes back to that. And so in this instance, I would say you might put out a great white paper that you're really proud of. And it's, this is why we're great. This is why we're the best widget. You want us. We are going to help you. You're going to get so much value from us. People don't care. They just don't care. You don't care. How would you phrase it differently? So, well, you have to build trust with people and you can get to be clear. You can get to a place where you can tell someone, I have a great widget and let me tell you about it. But it's about building these relationships. And that's where the storytelling comes in. I I always tell an anecdote. Let's say, again, if you think about it from the other side, because when you're on your side as the creator, you think, but yeah, but why would I, I mean, I have a great widget. I'm going to tell them I have a great widget and they'll know that I have a great widget, right? But nobody cares as much as you do about what you're creating. And so I challenge people to do this thought experiment where you're on the other side. And I always like to, to verbalize it as, let's say you're walking down the street with, what's your, what's your Harry Potter house? I don't know. You strike me, you strike me as, as a Hufflepuff. Are you, are you uh well, all right. We'll say, we'll say you're a Hufflepuff. Okay. So you're so you're walking down the street with your Hufflepuff T-shirt on, and there you see someone coming down the street, and they have a rack of clothing. And you're walking down the street, mind your own business. And this person, as they get closer to you, they accost you and run up to you, and they go, "Oh my gosh, you're a Hufflepuff pant fan! I have the most amazing 
Harry Potter merchandise you ever see. I have all this great Hufflepuff stuff. You got to see this, this shirt. It's hundred percent cotton, Egyptian cotton. Amazing. You're going to love it. it. It won't shrink in the wash. It's better than any of the other brands of cotton that you're going to get. And the printing is amazing. It won't fade in the sun. It's this great, uh, you got to have it. You're a Hufflepuff fan. You got to have the shirt. What are you going to do? You're going to go, Oh, well, I'm not on video, but your eyes are going to go wide and you're going to start backing slowly away. And you're going to say to people or say to that person, you better back away because <laughs> you're scaring me. And I don't care what you're selling or what you're doing. Just please don't hurt me and leave me alone. And you can walk away, right? Now, take that same scenario and this person comes up to you and they say, Oh, really cool Hufflepuff t-shirt. You know, that that's really cool. I'm I'm also I'm also a Hufflepuff. That that's really cool. And yeah. you kind of see on the rack that they have like these t-shirts, but they don't say anything. They're just like, cool, Hufflepuff. Oh, you're going to the convention? Yeah, me too. I'll see you there in, in the summer, or whatever. Okay, really cool. And you walk away. Yeah. And then some more time goes by and you see the same person walking down the street and they say, Oh, how you doing? Oh, yeah, you were at the convention. Yeah, that was a great convention, blah, blah, blah. And now you say, yeah, you know, you notice my shirts. It takes time. Exactly. You're building this relationship. You're building this relationship with people. And then by the third time that you see them, that person can say to you, I have this amazing t-shirt. It's hundred percent cotton. It won't fade, whatever they're going to tell you. And you're more willing to listen to them and be sold that widget. Right. And so you but is as it a con- our generation everything needs to move fast we want just talk to me give it to me i'll i'll buy it or not but you know it's time consuming i i would challenge you to say that one if that's what everyone else is doing then you can make an impact by doing the other thing but two i would challenge the paradigm you're setting which is that you're giving them value at every stage people will engage with you if you're giving them value And that's why I say it goes back to thinking about what they want at that moment in time. You're already at the end of the process thinking about making the sale. And this is what marketers do all the time. You're thinking, oh, they want me to sell to them. You're you're coming up with a false narrative to to get to where you want to be as a marketer of, I want to sell this person. Well, they want the value. They want me to tell them super quick. You need to, you need to buy my thing. Just bing, bing, bing. No, what they want is for you to not waste their time. I don't want to take all of your time. So I'll do it quick. If I'm not, if I'm not providing you value. Okay. And I always tell people, you know, the, the, the famous cold LinkedIn message and how it, it never works supposedly because everybody's too busy. I will, I will say this. It's not an absolute, but it's as much of an absolute with the caveat that nothing is an absolute. People read their messages. When you see a LinkedIn message, you read it. When you see an email, unless it goes to your spam folder or whatever, if you filtered it out. But you look at the title. On LinkedIn, anywhere, people will people read the stuff you send them. I can give you an example. I can give you examples. But They're more the like- you gave before is something that uh, brings emotions. Harry Potter is something that maybe I, I like and I'm excited and it reminds me things. But what happens if you're doing storytelling of something very technical, something that doesn't, speak to everybody and how do you make it Be- something that is human because because you're still talking about the value in that case harry potter i mentioned at the beginning they see that you're wearing a harry potter shirt so they can assume that this that you 
value talking about this topic. Sure. In business, people care about stuff because they have to do their jobs well, which is fine. That's how it is. Everybody needs to eat. Everyone needs to put a roof over their head, but that doesn't change the paradigm that they do care about what you're sending to them in the context of how they can succeed at their job. And so I would challenge you with the LinkedIn, if you send messages to people that are not salesy, you can get responses. Some of the best I've seen is when people just say, can I help you? Question mark. And then people will oftentimes, if they want help, respond. But the point being, you read your, you read your LinkedIn. People are not suspicious. They're like, what does he want? Why does he? Some will be. That's, that's definitely for sure. And I challenge all content people out there to think about how they can do that with their own storytelling. Put yourselves in the person's shoes. So put yourself in my shoes and said, if I'm a content person at a company that has, has a good reputation, what would be valuable to me to get my attention that nobody else is going to provide me with? All of this kind of stuff is going on in the background. And it's it's not that it, again, because nobody's selling things that they don't believe in here. Nobody's lying to people, scamming people. And we're not doing so, that or... Exactly. You're not trying to hurt anyone. You believe you have a product, but your job is to cut through this noise as a marketer. And so you put yourself in the shoes of the other person. You think what would be valuable to them and you give it. That comes in white paper form as well. That comes in LinkedIn message. When I send LinkedIn messages to people, the, the number one thing that will get me like almost to respond with a hate message back is when someone says, I just really quick, not going to waste your time, going to get, and I'm like, you're already wasting my time. I, you're ready this sentence. Just like, tell me what, like Why what you-, you want from me, right? Like, what do you want from me? And I'll make a, make a decision. So when I send things out to people, I always start with flattery because that everyone loves being flattered. That's just the reality. So I always say, love your work, saw your this, you know, whatever you're going to do, great. And then I'll say whatever the value is that I'm giving without all the beginnings and the middles and the ends and all this stuff. Because again, put yourself in your shoes when you're reading stuff. You don't care when someone's like, oh, I'm just la, 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 la. You don't care. Just tell me why this message is in my inbox. Why, Why am I reading this? And so to me, that all goes not in the content is king box, right? It's a storytelling box. It's about figuring out how you can get attention by giving people value. Okay. Yeah, exactly. How you can deliver that value and how you can show people that you're willing to engage with them in a, in a way that's not just selling. And then you build reputations and rapport with people. And then eventually you get them to a place where you can give them off to the sales team. Like as, mar- as marketers, your job is not to sell people on things. And I think that that's a, a misconception. And I, I hope I've explained kind of why why I feel that way at this at this point <laughs> yeah it's so helpful and I believe I learned so much from this conversation I, I mean I've literally sent messages back to marketers even if I wasn't interested in what they were doing or or like the product that was ultimately at the end and said love what you're doing just wow. want you to know I saw what you're doing it was awesome I'm not interested in it but keep up the good work like and when I see those messages from people that are just I have just a, just real quick with time, like, no, so you don't deserve the success because you're not doing it right. You're not, you're not doing it right. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So 
we got to the last question. We're about like 30 minutes, uh, you know, podcast. I, I told you, I'm a, I'm a Yenta, as you can it's tell. It's good. It's great. I love it. Uh, so what must every company have, even when it, they have a very low budget in terms of content? I think it really, it's a hard question to answer because it depends on your organization. We didn't really get into the, the organizational part as much, but I said at the top of the of the show, I guess, or the episode that every company is different and you don't operate in a vacuum as a marketer. And that's both a blessing and a curse because it's a blessing because you never want to be in a vacuum. You want other people's ideas. You never want to just be in an echo chamber. You want people to challenge you and bounce things off of them and things like that. On the other hand, it's a curse because as a marketer, you're one, supposed to please everybody all of the time. And two, everybody always thinks they can do your job just as well as you do because it's just words and things. Nobody ever went to the engineer and said, I have an idea for how you can code this better, unless they were a trained engineer. But when you're the marketing person, your sales team, your CEO, your developers, everybody's going to come to you and tell you they saw this and this isn't what it should be. And it's no good. And if you try to explain the theory to them of why you're doing what you're doing, they'll tell you, yeah, 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 I get that. But wow. you know, la, la, la. I, I, I come across it's that so many times. Yeah. It's frustrating. And, and it, it's super, super frustrating. And I could, I could tell you stories. I won't tell them in public. Maybe I could tell you when we get off the, off the call about some of my war stories with different, different companies and different individuals that I've worked with where you just want to go home and bang your head against the wall and say, or cry, <laughs> or, cry or curse or drink or some combination of the three. And you are going to run into that everywhere. So it really depends on where your nexus with all of those different stakeholders are. Because as a content person, you're going to be answering to a, a VP of marketing or a, or a CMO who's answering to a CEO. I've, I've always worked in startups, so never huge organizations, usually no more than 100 people. But you're still going to have this hierarchy. So when you're talking about- with you have a startup of five, 10 people. Yeah, or you can have a startup of five. You don't have a CMO. You don't have a large budget. What do you do? It's a, again, it depends on your market. I'm not trying to dodge the question, but let's say you're, you're, you're in a market where you feel like an, an ABM, an account-based strategy is going to be best. Because I've made this mistake, I'll tell you. I'll also be honest with you too. I've made huge mistakes in my strategic thinking going after like, we need to do the SEO play, right? That's what this question I feel like is kind of setting up. Like you need to make sure you're getting on the search engines or you need to make sure that you have... Uh, yeah. you know, your one white paper with yeah, all your stuff. Or like the must have. What, what yeah. And I, I think the, there's not really a good answer to that question, if I'm being honest, because I've made the mistake being, again, being, being honest. I, I've made the mistake of Why walking into a mistake. How do you know it's, it was a mistake? Well, because so the mistake being I've walked into a company and thought, this is my must have. I need to create, you know, funnel content so that I can nurture leads. Yeah. And then it turns out after months of failing that really the place that the company is in, the amount of resources that it has to devote to lead nurturing and, and sales team, that really what I needed to do was draw up a list of target accounts and figure out how do I get at these target accounts and not be worried about building a beautiful funnel with 
top, middle, bottom workflow afterwards to follow up. So I would say the must have from a content perspective is really the strategic understanding of where, of what needs to be created. There, there's no like one piece of content that I could tell you when you go into a company, you need to get on the SEO game. You need to build those search engine rankings, or you need to come up with a great piece of top funnel content to bring those leads in or a great funnel. It's really about understanding what's going to be most effective to the audience. Again, about delivering value to your audience, but also with the understanding of what your limitations are as an organization. Not everybody has the resources and budget. Not everybody has that. So if you walk into a company that's five people and you're in a really tech heavy space, you know, what? if you build the best piece of content ever, but nobody knows who you are, you're in a legacy space. Um, what should you do? In that situation, I think our CMO at Model Nine has a has a real had a really great strategy, which was for a while just doing PR, get your name out. Right, we're in a legacy mainframe is a very legacy. But PR costs money. Not as much as you would think. You can get on PR Newswire and release your own press releases for. I think it's like a hundred bucks or, or two hundred bucks, right? So I mean, yeah, if you're talking about you have absolute zero dollars that's that's really hard but if you're talking about even a thousand dollars you can find ways to do these things very cheaply it's just like a car you could buy a, a tesla a brand new tesla or, or a porsche or a busted up uh, bug from 20 years ago if the engine runs they'll all get you from a to b it's it's then it's just how much luxury do you need how much everything you need so time to travel with a bug from place to place uh, not if i'm driving it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> maybe, maybe if you're driving it but no not if i'm driving it um i need a so <laughs> you need it i need a tesla please i need a tesla um so i think you need to be creative about your strategy and part of that is is understanding what you're, what you're able to do and what you're not, you know? So you can build, you can build a perfectly good, let's say SEO strategy without paying an SEO consultant uh, $10,000, right? I could tell you what to do. Go into Google, put whatever keywords you think your audience cares about, see the results that pop up. Those results are, are the things that people are searching for. Pick the five that you could talk about create four pieces of content around each one of those keywords and publish them over the course of three months. You'll go up in the SEO rankings. Wow. There's your $10,000 SEO advice, right? Like, but you'll literally pay people. I see that again, not going to name names, not going to like whatever, but I've seen people's fees that they charge for these things. And I'm thinking like, this is, it's yeah. not, you know, it's not so hard, right? Like, you have to get out of that mindset of thinking that more resources are necessarily required. I mean, obviously, if you have a ton of SEO resources, you're going to be able to do more with technical SEO, with making sure that you get more volume out. Of course, yeah. of course. But that's that's not limiting your ability to set the strategy. What you need is that strategy of understanding where your resources are going to be most utilized. And that is going to be based on one, your space, and two, the internal politics. Even if you're five people, if you have a CEO that says, this is where we need to be, and this is where I go back to everybody thinks that, they, that they're a marketer, 
this is a strategy that we, I need us to be ranking higher. Well, then there's your answer, right? And you have to just kind of deal with what you're getting yeah. at that level. So you have to take all that into account when you're, when you're creating your strategy. It's not, it's not a quick fix where you could just be like, oh, I need to be on SEO. I need to, I'll, I'll tell you a story and I'm stealing this from things that I've heard in my just self-education listening to other podcasts. So I certainly didn't come up with this example Mm-hmm. And I would mention the podcast, but I can't remember the name of it because it was many years ago. Okay. But um, Google came up with some update, you know, something that they said, we'll get more people to your website. It was some one of their paid F- keyword, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get more keyword, you know, pay us, da, 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 da. And people did it and they blew their whole budget. Wow. Why? Because they didn't think about what's going to happen when the person lands on the website right? <laughs> like they, Google delivered on their promise of we'll send more people to your website. We'll take the money, right? Now, I feel like this is an example most marketers know at this point, but I think it reveals the broader strategic theme, which is that you, what you need is a strategy of understanding what is, what are you actually trying to accomplish? What do you, where, where are you in the content ecosystem? If you don't have the money to build a website, get people to engage, then nurture them, then send them to sales, then, right. Then like, you can have as many people as you want, come to your website. And I could tell you build SEO, read them. Right. And it's not going to do anything for you. Right. So you have to understand what you're actually capable of. Your goal as a marketer is to get to, get to a place where you can hand someone off to a salesperson. You have to think about within the parameters of your space, within the parameters of your budget and within the parameters of your internal politics, what is actually possible. Don't just go in there with the, I heard this at Salesforce content conference or whatever. So this is what I'm going to do, right? Those are all tools yeah. But you have to do the hard work of actually thinking about what is possible where you are with your, your unique situation. I would say that that is the uh, like, at, even at a low budget, you can you're be already on payroll to sit there and think about what is actually possible yeah. here before I go off in any one direction. Um, and that, that's the most important. Amazing. It's really, really helpful. Uh, so I guess we got to the end of our episode. I want to thank you so much, Bradley, uh, for all your tips and, uh, you know, your stories. They mean a lot. Um, and it was great having you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really happy. Um, I've benefited a lot. You know, my degree, my background is in law. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally not self-taught in the sense of only me. I mean, self-taught in the sense of learning from my experiences with other talented people and being a lurker in all the podcasts and forums that go on about how to do this. So in that sense, I consider myself self-taught. And so I'm, I'm happy to try and contribute from my experiences and, and just try to pay it forward to other people. And that's, um, that's why I, that was the value to me of being able to do this was just to pay it forward to other people who are out there listening, trying to learn from each other and do the best that they can to, to, do right by their companies. So um, thank you for letting me come on and, and give me a vehicle to pay it forward to everybody. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Grow Fearlessly. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like this episode, please leave us a review. The podcast was recorded by Magnify, a leading B2B sales intelligence SaaS platform. 
For more information, check out our website, www.imagnify.com. Stay tuned for our next episode with another inspiring and interesting guest to bring you practical growth tips.